most part, I, I just wanted to do what I wanted to do, you know? And I know how incredibly selfish that sounds, but I, I just, I've always felt like following things that bring you joy and following your passion, like that makes you a happier, healthier person. And so when you come back to whatever it is, right? Like your relationships, your career, like whatever you, you kind of buckle down and kind of say, this is what I'm focusing on right now. Like you come back to it a, a much happier, healthier person. Welcome to the Stokecast, where each week we bring you an inspiring athlete, adventurer, or entrepreneur and dig into their stories and strategies for building and trying to balance work, life, adventure, and impact. I'm Jonathan Ronzio. And I'm Emily Holland. Thanks for joining us today. What's up and welcome back to the Stokecast. It's Jonathan Ronzio here with Emily Holland for another rad episode of Stoke. And we are chatting with Kathy Carlo today. Kathy Carlo. Emily, why don't you tell us a little bit about Kathy? <laughs> nice lob over to me. I like it. Um, Kathy, Kathy is a um, a climber. She is a writer. She is an executive director for No Man's Land Film Festival, which I'm sure a lot of you know. And she is responsible for the fantastic blog and podcast for the love of climbing. Kathy takes us through her journey of um, kind of going against the grain, if you will, and living in Brooklyn and finding climbing and really deciding to um, go after it and and pursue it as her passion and what comes with that and um, how she goes about her creative endeavors. So this is a really good one. Kathy is a warm and, and nice breath of fresh air, I think, during a time where we could all use a little bit of that. Um, so please enjoy our conversation with Kathy Carlo. Always go against the grain, right? Except with sanding or painting. Yeah, I mean, is that true of shaving too? For a close shave. <laughs> Going against, that's a great quote. We should get some t-shirts made because in this episode also, there's a great metaphor that I use and it's definitely going to be on a t-shirt. I think we should do it. I, I would love a t-shirt of, of the, the uh, fish, I'm not, the I'm salmon in the shirt. Yeah, yeah. That means nothing to anybody right now, but just <laughs> usually, obviously, usually I'm bringing the, the like drop in hot metaphors. Emily beat me to it on this one and, and cra crafted, crafted something of her own. Let's just say I that. tried to do a metaphor, but I kind of mixed two and then it became a salmon in a shirt. So just listen on and you'll figure out what that means in the grand scheme of this episode. Hey, Kathy, how are you? How you doing? Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, you are very welcome. We're excited to chat with you. Big fans of what you do for the love of climbing and, and no man's land. But first and foremost, you know, we had a little bit of a conversation about the Zoom fatigue that we're all feeling. So just paint us a picture of maybe your, your current world these days. Like, what are you getting up to? What does it look like for you these days? Yeah, well, I just got to Sacramento a couple weeks ago. Um, my partner took a, a nursing job uh, during the crisis up here. And so we're kind of just living out of the van and out of Airbnbs while he's working. Um, and I feel like my face has just been glued to a computer screen <laughs> the last couple of weeks. Um, just trying to catch up. Um, honestly, it's funny because, you know, the whole world is like, hey, there's like this pandemic going on and we all need to stay home and, and work. And I'm like, this is literally my day every day for like weeks on end. So, <laughs> so not much has changed except for the location, I guess. Yeah. So how have you been faring? I mean, I know obviously climbing is such a big part of your life. How have you been faring with not being able to really get out? Maybe a little bit looser now, but in the original couple months there. Um, so in the first couple of weeks, uh, I'd actually just gotten back from France. We were climbing in Font and, uh, we did manage to squeeze in a couple of days before travel bans and that sort of thing. And, uh, and then things honestly just got so crazy with work that 
I didn't even have time to think about climbing. So I don't, I don't know. For me personally, like I've done road life and I've just been climbing and I've also lived, you know, like weeks and months at a time where I was just working and grinding it out. And um, for me, I, I like kind of having just like an al- alternating schedule. Um, so to be able to sit down and kind of plug away for a couple of weeks. Um, I mean, it might have been might have been longer than I normally would have, but it, it felt okay because then I always feel justified just kind of fucking off for <laughs> for a couple of weeks. Am I allowed to say fuck? <laughs> you, you are, yes. Oh, thank God. <laughs> for sure. Um, so so what what got crazy with work? Like what what have you been uh, filling your time doing, plugging away and fucking off with? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, long story short, there there was this whole shut down uh, basically every every state in the country. And so I am the director of No Man's Land Film Festival. It's a 501c3 uh, all-woman adventure film festival. And we make all of our money by booking hosts around around the country and, and worldwide too. We, we've uh, screened a couple times internationally. And so with this social distancing in place, um, everything was just getting canceled, postponed and that sort of thing. And so uh, just kind of having to grapple all that and we managed to shift the business and we pivoted super hard, super fast. I think we were one of the first film festivals to move online. Um, and so that, that took a little bit of time. Um, (laughs) and, uh, just, you know, kind of coordinating, we have a super small team. Um, it's actually, you, it's before this, it's only been a team of two women and, uh, I've just hired on two part-time employees who make up no man's land. And so having that, that support system helped me do that has been really nice, but, but it was a challenge and we've never done this before. You know, it, it kind of felt like, are we allowed to do this? Are we allowed to move our film festival to, to virtual world? But it, it all worked out, and, and now we're kind of moving on to, you know, some new initiatives and just kind of sitting in the trenches waiting for things to open up again. Yeah, that, I, I have thought about that a lot with the film festivals, and more recently, obviously, Mountain Film came out, and No Man's Land, I, was, I remember it being like, was it end of March, early April, that it actually moved? Yeah. 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 It was uh, mid March. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, what are, I guess what I'd like to understand is hiring on more people like during a pandemic. Can you talk us through that process and understanding that obviously there was just so much going on. So you just had to have other people on board. So I, I'd just be interested because a lot of people I feel like are definitely feeling right the squeeze of not having employment or uh, not feeling like there's a lot of opportunity out there for them. So maybe walking through the process of, of hiring on more people during this could potentially help some of those folks. Uh, yeah, well, actually, so I, I'm sorry, I didn't hire uh, Laura and Liz. Um, as a part of the team during the pandemic, they had actually been hired on mm. uh, late November, beginning of December, but they were really new to the film festival. And I was also really new, I'm still pretty new to um, this position. And so we're all just kind of learning together. But but in the past, it, it has definitely been kind of just like a one woman show. And just so just making these executive decisions and not really having a, a backup team to kind of support you, um, that's been, been a huge shift for for me and um and yeah but i just uh, yeah sorry i didn't mean to imply that i (laughs) i'm I'm lucky i didn't have to furlough anybody but uh yeah no i've I've definitely you know my i think through the whole thing my biggest concern was keeping them on even though they're both part-time even though they both have other side things you know going on right now um it's not their full-time job whatsoever but um you know it it was just important to me to kind of emphasize that we were a team. And even though, you know, things got kind of rocky there, we were going to stick together. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a, a really solid pivot. Um, so, I mean, what was the, the community reaction to that? People loved it. So traditionally, No Man's Land hosts a flagship festival every year. It used to be in Carbondale. We missed it last year. Whoops. And uh, we transitioned from Carbondale to Denver. We also moved the date as well as the location. And so we moved it to the very beginning of March. It landed, it was so serendipitous, on International 
Women's Day. Um, and so it's a four-day festival. We have four days of films, guest speakers, workshops. Uh, we do a filmmaker's dinner, a pitch fest for budding filmmakers. Um, and, and it's a really amazing time for people and women to get together and kind of just, you know, gather like the heart and the mind and the body and the soul of, of what we're all about. And so to do that, so one, we moved it to Denver for accessibility reasons because we understand that Carbondale is a very hard time to get, you know, it's a very hard town to get to. And, um, you know, Denver is such a hub. So it's a lot easier, a lot cheaper to fly into public transportation, all of that. And so that was step one. And then when everything kind of just happened and it, things started, you know, seemingly to started to crumble, um, we just replicated that four day festival virtually because there are so many people who know about the film festival. So this is our fifth year running and you know, we're not like a tiny film festival anymore. Um, people know our name. And so they're all over the country and they've never been able to come join us for a flagship festival. And in truth, you could never really replace like those in-person moments, like especially when we have guest speakers and that sort of thing, but to at least be able to invite people into uh, you know, a, a four day, basically like slumber party with films. Um, it was kind of magical. And the response was amazing. So many people reached out and said how they would never be able to make it to any of our flagship festivals in the past, um, or even any of the festivals that are hosted around them, uh, where they're from. And so it just, I don't know, I feel like No Man's Land is, is we've always had a platform of inclusivity, but to really be emphasizing that this year, especially, um, it, it just felt so good to be able to invite more people in to see what it is that we're doing. And so were the films like on demand or did you have still timed screen times that like you live streamed or, um, you know, it's like that, like Netflix, like watch party plug-in kind of thing. Like how, how'd you facilitate that? Yeah, long story short, I mean, I had kind of tested out and uh, done a little research on all the different platforms, um, and it was not live. We actually gave people a 10-hour window to watch the films. We, we did charge for tickets, but we kept the costs really low, and we, in fact, offered um, Thursday and Friday's films for free for people who had their income impacted by, by COVID-19. Um, and we actually went with Vimeo because we already, uh, the film festival uses Vimeo. We have an account and, uh, and everybody knows Vimeo, you know, everybody trusts it. And, um, it, it wasn't live. We just gave people that 10 hour window so they could kind of, you know, log in and, you know, use the password and watch the shows whenever, um, pause it, go, you know, take their dog for a walk, that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, there was <laughs> those four days I, I was just kind of, manning the computer and all the emails coming through. So I basically just sat in front of my screen for like four days in a row, uh, making sure every email got answered, every person who had a password problem, uh, activating passwords, swapping them out, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of like flagship festival, except I didn't have to return any beer kegs this year. So <laughs> <laughs> well, only the one that you were drinking next to the computer, right? So <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's really cool because I feel like that's in, in all of these things. I mean, of course, this is a terrible time and, and people are out of work and all of that. You know, I want to have that disclaimer. But there's these really interesting, almost like beautiful um, things that are happening that people are pivoting towards that can be replicated even beyond COVID and beyond a time where, you know, it's not... Um, we're not stuck inside and we go to places and see people, crazy concepts. Um, and so I wonder, so is, is this something now that you kind of know how to go about it and how you'd want to go about it that you guys will employ next year and the years beyond? Yeah, to be honest, I don't think that the virtual flagship festival could have been nearly as successful w without um, COVID happening. Um, but that being said, you know, I, I thought long and hard about it, um, because we actually wound up showcasing all of our 2020 films. So, uh, this year's tour, it, it was all screened that weekend. Um, but I think for the future, so next year in like January, February, we probably won't do it, but the, the year after we, we will, 
um, do a virtual event after our year prior has kind of wrapped up um, right before we mm-hmm. head into the, the new year. So I, I just think that's, a, again, a really great way to be able to be more inclusive of people who wouldn't you know, normally be able to make it out to Denver um, or make it out to any of our events. And I think it'll be really fun that I, um, we will have recordings of our guest speakers from uh, flagship festivals prior to and you know obviously certain things like workshops like we offer a photography and an artist workshop every year um, mm-hmm. that'll be a little bit harder but at least the guest speakers the presentations the panel discussions I think would be really interesting to uh, to be able to watch that if you aren't able to come in person that's great so, so prior to you being the director at this festival, like, you know, you, you have your own creative career that led you down this path that uh, aligned with, with all of the things that uh, this festival stands for, right? And so going back, you have the For the, for the Love of Climbing as a short film, right? And, and you won an award on that. And, uh, and you've got, you know, you've been a writer, been published in a ton of stuff. You have your podcast, which is awesome. You've got your blogs. So... Um, so let's dig in a little bit about your creative journey leading up to this. Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of funny because I didn't grow up in a very outdoorsy family whatsoever. Like we never went camping. I think the most outdoorsy thing we ever did was, uh, took a trip to Disney world one year. We stayed at, uh, Fort wilderness, which is actually just a resort. Um, but they have like (laughs) eight, like animal, you know, statues everywhere. Yeah. We, uh, we didn't really grow up with like, I didn't know how to pitch a tent until I was like in my mid twenties and I probably still don't know how to pitch a tent. Um, but yeah, uh, as far as climbing goes, I, I had this really wonderful ex-boyfriend years ago who I'm still friends with to this day. And he had taken me ice climbing during my first two years. And so he grew up in Colorado. I grew up on the East Coast. And, you know, I I think I just became so enthralled with it because it was so different from anything else that I'd ever done. You know, like I, I had grown up on the East Coast. So my entire life, I I would romanticize about the, the West Coast, right? Because it's just like this whole you know, uncertain realm. Um, and, and a part of me truthfully, like never really felt like I belonged, but, um, but I really loved doing it. And, and it was this cool thing that we could do together. Um, and his dad would come with us. And so, you know, he took me ice climbing during my first two years of climbing. Um, but those two years, I did not realize that people rock climbed. I thought that this, this was kind of like it, you know? And so imagine not knowing that rock climbing existed for two whole years. Like we'd be at the URA ice festival and I'd walk by the booths and see copies of rock and ice everywhere, like everywhere. But I had no idea what rock climbing was. Um, So I guess a little bit of a backward progression there. And it's so polar opposite to most people. Like starting (laughs) with ice climbing is that's pretty rad. Yeah. I mean, you know what it taught me? It taught me to start with the harder thing and then everything else after that will just be much, much easier. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, we broke up and I wound up taking an intermediate ice climbing course with Eastern mountain sports. Um, and like, I sort of knew what I was doing, but not really like I, you know, I had nothing to really kind of reference and, and I didn't have any of the gear so I, I took this course and the whole experience sparked meeting a whole group of new people. And that's where climbing just kind of took off for me. And I, like, I just hit the ground running and never looked back. Like I've, I've definitely heard from friends, like, you know, where did Kathy go? <laughs> she just kind of got sucked into this vortex and uh, <laughs> I was always gone. I was always on trips. So, you know, everything was just, always so new and exciting and I was constantly learning and pushing myself and I think that that feeling of doing something that previously seems so impossible is exhilarating and and addicting so you know for for like the last I don't know I guess it's close to eight nine years now at pretty much every decision that I've made um, in my life has revolved around climbing so what you just described there where you said like your friends were were like where did Kathy go and you're like joking about being sucked into this vortex I would I would love to hear a little bit more about that because I think that's a thing that like people you know you grow up with your group of friends right whether it's your friends from high school your friends from college or even even younger in childhood 
And there's always a, you know, some people are lucky and they keep that same friend group for forever. But at the same time, like, um, some people are also lucky that they move beyond that friend group when they find a different passion and find the, the right community for them. Right. But there's a, a really hard moment of like the people that surround you that don't also follow you down into that vortex, like those relationships suffer because they've been so special for so long, but they can't evolve with where you want to go. Excuse me. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. And I think that it was when I was living in Brooklyn and this is probably right around like the last year or two that I was living there. And I mean, when I was there, I wasn't really there. Like when I was in the city, I was, I was working, I was there for work, but when I was off, I was, I was gone. And I think in those two years during that time period, I started to realize that. And it, and it felt like, it definitely felt sad to me, you know, because I just, you know, I want to take all the people that I know and I love throughout the course of my life with me everywhere. And, and I think that, um, you know, I, I definitely tell people all the time I'm pretty one dimensional. Like, I, I mean, I don't even mountain bike or ski because, well, I'm actually really scared of downhill momentum. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that was my thing. That's okay. <laughs> I don't even know how to throw it. Okay. Carry on. This is life. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, scared of downhill momentum but um what was i saying oh versus climbing where theoretically you're supposed to go up you know just very very slowly and i i um i definitely wound up moving away from a lot of those friendships um and they did get placed on the back burner i mean i didn't even date people because you know not seriously because if they weren't a climber then in in my mind like there's just no way we would be able to move forward with that because I was going to be spending all of my time climbing. Like the, in the beginning, there were days that I would just eat, sleep and poop rock climbing. Like that's all I did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you know, at this point, like, especially in the last five years or so, I have created a much more balanced lifestyle and it works really well for me. And, and I honestly really love, um, but I didn't have that then. And so, yeah, you just kind of, you move, I moved away from a lot of people. I lost touch with a lot of people, but I also think through climbing, like through the lifestyle that it, it offers, like I'm, I'm constantly moving, right. You're, you're just kind of living this transient lifestyle. And so I, I know that my, my strongest friendships and, and the people that I love the most, like when I pop into town and if, you know, I'm there for either a couple of days or a couple of weeks or months, you know, like we'll have time for each other and we'll just kind of pick up where we left off. And, and I mean, I think truthfully, I've always felt that way about my friendships. Like the best friendships are not the ones where you're up each other's ass all the time, you know, and you kind you know, you support each other in your life, life's endeavors. But, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think, I think being a transient rock climber or just like any kind of transient outdoor lifestyle, like it kind of, you know, supports that that kind of uh, relationship with people and, and you have to be okay with it because, you know, y- y- there are always going to be things that you will sacrifice, you know, depending, depending on what you decide, but there's always going to be a sacrifice. Yeah. And there's, I, I find myself and, and other people that I've spoken to too, where they kind of like find the thing that they want to pursue or maybe not one thing, but it's like a collection of things that they're just really excited about and they want to move forward with it. But sometimes there's that kind of like nagging feeling, almost like someone's pulling the back of your shirt like backwards and saying like, hey, hey, no, you should just go along the same path that we're all going on. So I think you should just stay in the the school of fish over here. And I'm like mixing metaphors here, Jonathan, you're probably going to kill me because you're the metaphor king, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to see where it's going. Yeah. Keep, keep going with this. You got, you got t-shirt yeah. fish. Come yeah. On. There's a t-shirt on a fish. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just, I feel like sometimes it's hard for, and maybe it's more women than men. I'm not exactly sure, but sometimes it's hard to know yourself enough to say, "Mm, I don't, I I will deal with whatever the fallout of the relationships are eventually. I need to go do this other thing. This is for me. I need to go and do this. So was there any sort of like nagging for you or were you just like, nope, this is exactly what I want to do with my life and whatever comes with it, let's, we're going to take it on. (laughs) 
I think for the most part, I, I just wanted to do what I wanted to do, you know, and I know how incredibly selfish that sounds, but I, I just, I've always felt like following things that bring you joy and following your passion, like that makes you a happier, healthier person. And so when you come back to whatever it is, right, like your relationships, your career, like whatever you, you kind of buckle down and kind of say, this is what I'm focusing on right now. Like you come back to it, a, a much happier, healthier person. Um, and truth be told, like, I'm just, I'm just really stubborn, you know? And so I, I mean, I didn't have a quote unquote career path. I don't even know if I have a career path now, but I definitely did not have one back then at all. I just kept this mind frame where if I just followed my joys, like it would keep opening up these, you know, different paths for me. And, and that is exactly what happened, but I didn't know it at the time. Um, but there was this part of me, especially when I was living in New York city, because when I live, lived in New York city, a vast majority of my friends, they were all professional everything right I mean they all were just like fucking sharks and they were like this is you know I like and they were all climbers too which is the interesting thing and this is how I was able to see like oh you can have a career and you can still be a climber um but I just I knew that I wanted climbing more <laughs> than a career and I think I wanted climbing more than a career because I just didn't know what, exactly what I wanted to do with myself but but there was this part of me that just felt this a little bit of internalized pressure, like I should be doing this. And, you know, what, what am I, you know, yeah, I, I definitely had like existential crisis about it, you know, lying asleep in my, or awake in my, my car at night. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I think I was just really stubborn about it. Like I, I, I've just always been the kind of person who I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm, I'm going to take it and charge with it, you know, just like until, until I figure it out. And if that doesn't work, then there's got to be an alternative. Like I, I I think that that's a huge skill you need in both climbing and in life, you know, like how do I problem solve this? And so, yeah, I, I don't know. Got me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just, uh, the metaphors didn't work totally, but um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just picturing like a salmon in a t-shirt, but. um, I think it's great. That's a, that's a beautiful uh, image and it sparked a a solid conversation. (laughs) We'll, and, we'll and uh, make some stickers. I would wear that shirt. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I love it. Um, so in thinking about, okay, so you're, you're thinking, you know, climbing is for me. I want to just go climb. Like I, that is what I want to do. So when do you leave New York and how do you leave it in that? Like, how are you just kind of taking jobs here and there? Like what leads you from New York and climbing all the time to then, writing and creating for the love of climbing the the blog so the the original kind of um piece yeah so i when i was living in new york city i was actually i was working part-time at a gear store and i i nannied for the most part and so i i've nannied kids like on and off for the better part of a decade at this point um and i was just kind of getting by Um, and you know, again, I was just kind of shooting out of the city every possible chance I got, I would drive up to the gunks. I would drive eight and a half hours down to the New River Gorge, 12 hours to the red 13 to Chattanooga. Like I just kept going and it kept getting further and further away from, from my home base at the time. And so, um, on these trips, I, I started writing a blog, I think it was back in like 2014 and I was trying to come up with this really clever name and, and I, I wound up coming up with for the love of climbing because I wanted to, to mean so much more than, than, you know, like not so much for profit, but for pleasure, for the love of, and, you know, climbing has always been so much about the lifestyle for me. And so I, I love the actual activity, but the lifestyle I feel like was really, I don't know, it was like a magnet for me. Um, and uh, yeah, I, kind of just hit the road. One, one year, it was one summer, my car broke down and I ditched it in Maryland and I hitchhiked down to West Virginia. I climbed down there. I went with like a bunch of rafters that I, I didn't know. And then by, I hitchhiked. I ditched, by ditched the car in Maryland. I'm, pic- I'm picturing like the scene in Into the Wild where, um, <clears throat> where, you know, Chris McCandless like just leaves his car on that like, empty river 
or the like the, the lake that's <laughs> been green? No, what, I what, didn't what, is, what is this day car thing? Well, you know, um, I it wound up uh, not being drivable any longer, and so I slept in it that night. And the next morning, these two guys uh, who were doing um, some electric work on the side of the road, they actually called and paid for a tow truck for me, and so they towed it to this place. And that's where the guy, the mechanic told me, "Yeah, it's not drivable, and it would cost you this much to fix it, and it was worth more than the car." So I left it with him. But I actually wound up, uh, after I hitchhiked from West Virginia down to Tennessee, I climbed down there, and then I, I bought a car, a used car in Chattanooga, drove it back up, stopped by, got all the rest of my belongings out of it, and salvaged it, um, and then went back to New York. And at that moment, like, I just spent, like, at the, that time, my life savings, right? It was, like, $5,000 on a used car, um, and I was like, how am I paying like $1,000 in rent to live in Brooklyn every month? And all I want to do is be anywhere but here. And, and it was hard because, you know, we talked about those, those roots and having those ties with, with uh, friends and families and like all the families that I nannied for. Like they, they were like family to me. Um, and so it was really hard to, to kind of sever that tie indefinitely. But um, I, I came back and I just had this realization and I, I wound up leaving my lease early. I sold everything that I owned, the rest of it. I just donated to Goodwill all over the city, whoever would take my stuff really. Um, and then I put everything else I owned into that Honda. It was a, a 2006 Honda CRV, And I drove out to Colorado. Um, and yeah, I, <laughs> that was the year that I did. Um, I did a year on the road and was, you know, I told myself I was quote unquote figuring it out. So um, did a little bit of freelance writing. Um, I think back then I thought that blog sponsorships were like a thing. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to get a blog sponsorship. I'm, I'm going to get famous. And that, that didn't really happen, but um, it did open up some, you know, some <laughs> interesting uh, connections and that sort of thing. And um, yeah, I, uh, I wound up, landing in Boulder and in Denver for a year each. That's awesome. So, I mean, you, you casually say like, Oh, I did some freelancing here. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I casually, I just started freelancing a little bit, but to a lot of people, I mean, that's a really hard thing to even start. Right. So, I mean, you had the blog obviously, so you had like writing experience and you were doing that at the time, but can you talk to us a little bit about the process of, starting to freelance, starting to pitch and or work with editors or um, whatever the process was for you? Well, you know, I mean, that's the thing, though, the blog, like, it was just a personal blog, right? And so a lot of it, like, I mean, nobody was editing it. I was just kind of like writing my thoughts and my feelings and putting it up there. And I think in the first couple of months, um, Climbing Magazine picked it up and they they uh, did a piece about, just, you know, blogs and podcasts you should be listening to. And I was on there and I was like, that's so cool. Um, but I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't really making any money off of freelance writing. Like, I mean, it was like a review here, review there, that sort of thing. But, um, I don't know. I, I kept doing it cause I really loved it. And I just, I think what I loved was just writing about my experience and sharing it with the world because it felt like people were resonating with things that I was writing. And I think a lot of people too, especially a lot of my friends back in New York, I mean, they were all still tied to the city and to their jobs. And so they loved to, you know, I guess, you know, live vicariously through, this person who liked to randomly wander around the country, not knowing what she wanted to do with her life. Like that was interesting. Um, and, uh, and yeah, a lot I mean, of conviction to walk away from everything, <laughs> you know, and, and like that, that's, there's commitment and, and bravery, like courage in, in that path. So that's, it is super cool. It's aspirational for a lot of people that won't bravery or, or is it adult ADHD? I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, well, I, I, I think, uh, I think ADHD is, is incredible. I think, that, <laughs> I think I do. I think, I think it's a superpower. I think that, that like a lot of creativity and a lot of, um, you know, industrious and resourcefulness comes out of the shifting attention and focus. And I think, I think it's, it's cool when you can channel it. Thank you. Thanks for saying that. Yeah. I, I just, um, Oh God, that wasn't a question. <laughs> 
No, it's that's fine. So I, I was just I was just uh, jumping into interject about like the reason why people um, probably follow that story, right? Because not not many, so many people will think about like selling all their possessions and ditching their lease and and like just going for it like that. But the vast majority of people won't because that's a it's a big risk. Yeah. Yeah. I think at the time it felt like a really big deal. Like I, I definitely had a lot of what the fuck am I doing moments and how am I going to make money moments and what the fuck am I doing? Um, and then there was a period of time in between there where it's like, Oh, it's like, so not a big deal. So I like sold my shit and like, you know, just wandered around the country for a year whatever. And and now looking back at it, you know, almost like eight, nine years later, like it, it definitely was a big deal. Um, because I didn't know how it was going to turn out, you know, but I, I've always been such an advocate of, of playing the what if game, you know, like, well, and I, I don't mean like looking, looking back at the past, what if I mean, you know, just looking towards the future, like, well, what if I do this? And I, I think the one thing I can say about myself is that I'm really adaptable. And I don't know, for the most part, like things aren't that big of a deal to me. Like if I have to sleep on like, you know, like a bench or a couch or the floor I'm like yeah it's one night like whatever you know as long as it's somehow supporting this this lifestyle this other thing that I want to be doing like I don't know yeah it just didn't seem like that big of a deal but yeah no I mean it it was a huge uh cliff to jump off of and and I did it and um yeah and the same with the writing I mean I I guess I didn't really like I was putting myself out there but I wasn't like asking for people to publish me I wasn't you know putting myself out there that way but other people saw it and they they came to me actually and so I I guess I'm really lucky in that way I didn't have to deal with the rejection of will you publish my writing um (laughs) so yeah a couple of publications smaller publications had reached out like I've written for the climbing zine um a bunch over the years and now I'm one of the senior contributors I've worked with Luke Michal um and you know then climbing magazine had reached out about having a like a by bi-monthly column um and it was funny because Matt was like would you think about calling it something else not for the love of climbing and I was like yeah yeah I'll think of a title and then I I said it in my first uh edit and I was just like I've been thinking can we just call it for the love of climbing because that's like my brand now (laughs) like people know it and so like they'll see it and they'll know what to expect in my writing and you know I'm not gonna be super serious um although all my jokes get edited out I don't know why (laughs) (laughs) but uh but yeah no and and it's it's so I've been really lucky in that sense um having having just put my work out for so long without really having an agenda you know and and I think it was you know back to like kind of just like the namesake like for the love of because I just really loved writing I love storytelling I love sharing it with people and and it came back to me I mean and, and that's the same way I fell into this position with no man's land um, my old roommate in Brooklyn had reached out back in was it like 2015 16 and he was like I want to make a film and he had no film experience uh not like this at least and he was not a climber but we made that film um it made its way into no man's land like Asia Weinhold had found it and um a year later she hired her first employee and that was me so and then a couple years later someone gave me the clipboard and I was like wait a second (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wait a second how did I end up here what's happening okay so yeah. all right go ahead Jonathan I have questions I was just gonna say, I was just gonna say what would you have done if you know these things didn't go that way right if you if you walked away from your your lease you walked away from a, you know your the nannying jobs you um you hit the road you went climbing and started and, and you were blogging and let's say climbing magazine never reached out and let's say you, you never got the connection with, you know to go make the film like what would yeah. you what do you think you would have done i i mean when i had because i was on the road for a year and then i wound up settling in denver and then settling in boulder um and i mean there are sporadic times throughout that I was like well what what do I do like what you know like what do I what am I experienced enough for and I was like I don't know I can like take care of kids and not kill them um just kidding I'm a great caregiver 
I love kids. So, you know, I, I just kind of, I just went back to nanny and, and I, and I loved working with kids. I love being one-on-one with families. And so, you know, I just kind of, I mean, it's funny because I think throughout all those years, like people will be like, Oh, you made it. I'm like, Oh, not really. I'm like, kind of like, just like hanging out, making like, you know, 15 bucks an hour, <laughs> but like I can pay my bills. I can feed my dog. I can feed myself and, you know, pay my gas and that sort of thing. So like, yeah, I, I had made it, but like, I guess my point is like, it's always kind of like this work in progress. So I think if none of those things had worked out, I mean, I can't really say like for sure what I would be doing exactly right now, but I probably just would have, you know, gone, gone back to something like that until the next, opportunity presented itself. Um, I'm definitely an opportunist. I, I didn't want to believe it, but <laughs> I, I, you know, Williams <laughs> told me that I was. <laughs> so you listen. I you sat listen. there. I was, yeah. I was just like, well, <laughs> like we are like doing this like weird car campaign right now. And I mean, I said, yes, I, I, the proof is kind of in the pudding, as they call it. So yeah, I'm an opportunist. So I would have seen something and, you know, hopefully that would have worked out. I, I do in my heart of hearts think that the, the blog, which evolved into the podcast, I do think that that would have um, taken flight at some point. Um, it just, to me, it feels like a really natural progression with what I was doing then. Um, so I, I do think that that still would have happened. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I, I asked that because I, you know, going back to the, the whole reason, like why so many people might not take that risk. I think a lot of people focus too much on what they're walking away from and, and not, uh, they don't give enough credit, you know, into the journey of what they could create, but also thinking about the, the what if of like, well, if it doesn't work out, then I can always go back to this. And I think that, that like the going back scares people as much as as the leaving and um and i think you know i can obviously you have that attitude it's it's something that i share at back in 2013 i quit everything and went on a one-way ticket to south america to make a film and spent like the thousand dollars i had in my bank account and was like well if this doesn't work then i can like i can always do this and and i think that um that that's an attitude that i just i, I wanted to like highlight that for anybody listening it's like, believe in the passion and go try it and go see what you can create. But like, also don't be afraid of like, if it doesn't work out, take a step back and reassess and find the next opportunity like you just talked about. Yeah, absolutely. I, absolutely. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times um, people told me during that year, they were like, well, if you don't like it, you can always go back. Or if it's not working out, like, you know, there's no, there's no reason why you can't. I, th- I think it's because also people look at that as failure and failure is really scary, but um, I definitely something that I, I learned during those years is that failure, it's not that scary. Like, and it's kind of necessary if you ever want to be someone who doesn't fail, if you ever want to become someone who is successful at things, like you have to go through that process again and again and again, you know? Yeah, it's, it's all part of it for sure. So, okay. <laughs> so you're writing and then um, you decided to make a film. So in my mind, those are like completely different things. And um, obviously like storytelling is embedded in both and they're both creative fields, but like what it takes to make a film is, is pretty seemingly very laborious, right? So, um, so I wonder like, how you shifted into that and you know where you pulled from if you had like mentors or you were just kind of like figuring it out as you go um just the process and building that out with your friend i think you said yeah so sean firetag and justin cerrone they have full credit for making the film what it was i i wrote it i directed it um they produced it and it's funny because after i mean it was like maybe two or three days in indian creek Um, and Sean was just shooting like crazy. I had no idea what that was going to look like. I just wrote the narrative for it. And I was like, these are things, you know, like this is the direction I wanted to kind of go in. But I, like, I had no idea. I could not have even imagined back then, like what it would come, come to be in the editing process. And, and now being a person who I don't edit video, but just like through podcasting, like now I understand editing and how fucking time invasive it is and it's really hard especially (laughs) if you're a perfectionist which I need to learn to be less of um and yeah they I mean they 
gave me the most beautiful beautiful gift that I could have asked for because I feel like that film embodied so much of what I was trying to articulate all the years prior, you know? So yeah. not, not, a, not really a filmmaker. <laughs> I just have like the vision. <laughs> I love how in each of these things we've talked about, you're like, well, I'm not like really a freelance writer because of this and I'm not really a filmmaker, but it's like you, you are, you have done these things. And um, it's just interesting because I feel like you're not giving enough, yourself enough credit. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I heard this really great thing uh, a little while back pretty recently um, where in, in your 20s, you just say yes to everything, right? And you just do everything um and then like in your 30s like mid 30s or so uh you start kind of selectively saying no i'm not gonna do this like i'm I'm not gonna put my time and effort into this and then i guess like i don't know 35 and upward like you you have like done it you have like figured out the thing that you are and you can be like i am this like i have created this um i i don't know if there's you know any any truth to that but the the trajectory seems about right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, but hey, if you're getting paid for the thing that you're doing, then I mean, you, like, call yourself that because yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, I think there's something to be said about when you identify with something and you say, I am this, like, I am a writer or I am a climber and, and you kind of take ownership of that, like that you really do start to st- see these shifts in, in the work and, and your performance, you know? Um, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And yeah, no more negative self-talk, Kathy. Have you learned nothing? <laughs> <laughs> We're all learning at the same time, all the time. Yeah. It's real time. We all need here. reminders. <laughs> yeah. well, I think one of my biggest struggles has always been saying I am, and then just there being too many fill in the blanks. And <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Such a Jonathan thing to say. With <laughs> army knife, I think. I mean, yeah. I think that's a good pretty fair, right? It's like, yeah, never be, never be too foxy. Do <laughs> a little bit of everything. I definitely, I definitely I am a dog mom. I will own that for sure. That's one thing I can definitely own. So I'll put that. Uh, that's on my byline. <laughs> I'm a little jealous, honestly, because I, I have a dog, and I feel like because I've become so busy in the last year or so that I've been really neglectful to my dog. And so to compensate, I just let, like, I let her have anything she wants, which absolutely drives my partner nuts. He's just like, this is why she begs. And I'm like, and I just kind of, I'm just like, she's nine and she's old. And like, I neglect She's her. the mom. Yeah. <laughs> so then, then comes for the love of climbing and the podcast. Um, so is that 2018 where that started? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. launched it in 2018. Yeah. So I think for people who have listened to it, probably understand like the, when you say like editing takes a lot of time, like especially for your show, oh my gosh, I can't imagine. It probably takes so much time. Um, But for people who haven't listened to it, first of all, go and listen. Um, But just maybe talking through like how you thought about doing it, right? So you have this very specific, ish style of obviously you have the interview of the story that you're trying to tell but then you have your your own narrative in there as well that you're you're uh, voicing over as well as you know sound like external sounds um so it's like a very put together you know package for every single episode so love to hear about what you're thinking in the beginning and then sort of your process for um finding stories and and telling them in in that specific way. Yeah. Well, the whole thing started with, um, it was a phone interview that I was conducting uh, for for a piece that I was writing. And um, I was interviewing Mary Harlan, who's a Carbondale climber. And it was my favorite piece to date called Do Not Go Outside to Cry, which um, it actually reflected on a failed big wall expedition that I had just been on in 2016. Um, and in, in the article, like I talked about just not being shamed into downplaying our emotions and, you know, especially the really difficult ones. So anyway, Mary really loved the interview questions when we were finished. And 
Um, it's funny. I probably wrote them all like 10 minutes before I got her on the phone anyway, but she, she said they were really insightful and, uh, <laughs> she's the one who actually suggested that I do a podcast. Like I, I had never even thought about doing it before. And, uh, and I still didn't think about it when she told me that I just kind of laughed it off, but I guess it stuck because a year later I just like, I just hit it, you know? And I was like, well, I'm going to be the female normal cast. And, um, you know, that's, obviously not what happened. And I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> Chris, his Q&A style is really good and he does it so well, but I wanted to do something different and I wanted to do something that had more soul to it. And what I really wanted to do was to share other people's stories in this really honest way, you know, um, because at that point, like, you know, the blog, I don't even know if I was still writing the blog at this point, but it, it still existed on the internet and maybe occasionally I wrote in it. But at some point I just, I felt like the, these were all of my stories. And I don't know, personally, I think I'm kind of boring. Like I'm, I'm not doing <laughs> these crazy expeditions or like bone crushing Alpine ice and the Canadian whatevers and you know, I, I wanted to highlight other people and especially I wanted to highlight climbers or, or just people in general that you might not have otherwise heard of, right? Because if you get on like most podcasts and you listen to them, you, you've mm. probably already heard about that person. And so I thought it would be so cool to just kind of take, you know, everyday climbers, you know, people, real people who exist in the world that you didn't know they existed in the world um, because they had these really interesting stories. And um, yeah, I just wanted to share those stories in an honest way, especially in this age of social media where everything is so shiny and it's a highlight reel of the best and the brightest. And I don't know, you know, like that's not to point any fingers because I, I do it too, right? Like, of course I want everybody to think that I'm I'm bone crushing and that I look really good while I'm doing it. And then I'm positive and funny and everybody likes me and so on, but you know, because that feels good. Right. But like something is always going to be missing from that. And, and that was in essence, what the article had been all about was that, you know, you don't just get to the top of, of something of, of a climb or a summit without just, you know, a lot of hard work and hopefully not too much blood. And, you know, I, I wanted the podcast to reflect that, uh, that we all have these shit moments, but you know, you can take these moments and talk candidly about them. And I think that creates something really powerful. Like people resonate with the truth, you know, especially when it runs parallel with their own. Um, and, and, you know, maybe they haven't gotten to a place where, where they can open up and talk about it yet. So I don't know. It's something that I don't see enough of in the day to day. And it's something that I think we can all benefit from because I think at the core of it, we're being honest and, and maybe not necessarily like we don't have to be honest with the whole world. And we don't have to put every single detail of our lives, like, you know, on social media and for people to see, but as long as we're being honest with ourselves. Right. And, and I think when we're being open and honest, we'll see more kindness and compassion and, and we'll be kinder and more compassionate too, you know, mm -hmm. because yeah, it's like, how do you, how do you teach empathy? You know, you, you can't really do that, but you can give people the tools to do that. Right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like, um, listening to your podcast is like a, a moment in which you need to like have a hot cup of tea and like a, a snuggly blanket, you know, cause you're kind of like, <laughs> You need yeah, to kind of like settle uh, into it, it a little bit. People um, tell me what when they're driving and I'm like, don't do that. You might cry. <laughs> I know, but it is good talking fodder for road trip too, right? So you like pause it with whoever you're with and you're like, well, what do you think about this? You know, that's kind of the, the good meatiness. But I think that's really beautiful that it's so intentionally um, thought out and compassionate. So I just... I think anyone who's listening who haven't, hasn't listened to it, and it's really not that specific to climbing. Like, yeah, the people in it are generally climbers, right? But it's not like, hey, I climbed this 514 and this was the route and here's what I what the moves were. Like, it's There's not every single technical. sequence. <laughs> I know. I'm like, okay, that's we have enough of that, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to create something that, like, I mean, yeah, they are mostly climbers, um, but 
sometimes not. I just wanted to tell a story through a climbing lens because I think that yeah. is a really specific thing. But also like people like my mom can listen to it. My mom doesn't understand anything about climbing and she listens to it and she's like, oh, I get it. Like, and, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, and the response from the community seems to have been uh, fantastic. Like it's a incredibly popular show. And I think you've, you've had 20 episodes, right? Like you put a, a one out, what, every month? It seems. I put out one every month. I just finished episode 17, which will come out on the 1st of June. So that's interesting to me because it's like, you know, most super popular podcasts are pretty consistent with a weekly or even a daily cadence. And to have, to have, you know, to be a monthly show and, you know, only have 20 episodes but have the incredible like following and the, the reviews and the response that you do, like it, that's a special thing. So I'm curious how you've, how you've gotten the word out to a degree, right? To, to build the following like that on, um, on this kind of a, a cadence, I guess. I did it the old fashioned way. I just emailed and text messaged and DM'd every single person that I knew. And I was like, hey, I'm doing this thing. And uh, <laughs> in the beginning, it started with um, just me asking for, for audio clips, little sample audio clips that I wanted to uh, use for the trailer when I was still like kind of formulating like what I wanted to be and uh, figuring it out. And so, I mean, a really small percentage of everyone that I asked uh, actually sent an audio clip. But I stitched it together. And then the cool thing was, I mean, months and even a year later, like people email me and they're like, yeah, you reached out to me about sending you an audio clip. The question was, can you talk to me, you know, in like 30 seconds to a minute um, about a hard thing that you've struggled with within your climbing? Um, and uh, they said that they didn't answer the question, but it stuck with them and they've since followed the podcast and, you know, have followed along and, and, um, and yeah, the response has been really overwhelming. Um, and I think that the whole point is that it gets people to talk. Like I've had people write in and be like, I listened to these episodes. I listened to it with my partner and like, we talked about it and it's opened up all these conversations. And, um, you know, I think that, yeah, that was kind of like the whole goal from the beginning. Even before I knew it, it was like the best way to learn empathy and start showing up for other people, ourselves included, is to just really listen and to step into somebody else's experience. And that's what good storytelling does. It, it allows us to step into someone else's experience. So it's awesome. It's awesome. So everyone listening to this, go listen to For the Love of Climbing if you haven't already. Um, it is awesome and can be listened to at any time, but maybe Kathy recommends maybe not while driving. So let's just keep that on the on the radar. But <laughs> um, so Kathy, we ask everyone at the end of our episodes the same question, and that is, what does Stoke mean to you? Ooh. What does Stoke mean to me? Well, at risk of sounding like an overstoker. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it should be, not should, I shouldn't use the word should. Stoke is, to me, anything that just kind of lights up every single corner of your day and your life. And something that, you know, you just, you can't wait to pick up and uh, get back to and you know just brings you joy I guess you know yeah yeah that was too, that was, that was too like <laughs> no me <laughs> we've had so many varied answers here that it's like none of them have ever been the same so that's been kind of cool <laughs> there's commonality in the threads you know we get some people saying saying it really is like joy and passion and then there's some that are like, it's like that, you know, they go with the stoke thinking of like stoking the fire and they, they weave into the fire metaphor, right? So there's some commonality, but it's, it, it, that's the wonderful thing about this question and, and about the, the word and the feeling for our industry, right? Is that it's like, it means something similar, but different to everybody. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So where can people catch up with you, Kathy? Is Instagram the best place to kind of follow along with what you're up to? Oh, man. Uh, Instagram um, in headlights is my handle. It's like deer in headlights without the deer. 
Um, that's also my email address. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, for the love of climbing.com, I, I post all the episodes there and yeah, just anywhere on the internet. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad that we finally made this happen. Really hope you enjoyed that episode. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you dropped a review of the podcast wherever you're listening. And also, if you're not subscribed yet, definitely hit that button so you can tune in each week and not miss an episode. But also, don't miss out on the conversations happening inside our member Facebook group. Just search The Stokecast Podcast on Facebook and join up. Or reach out to say hi on socials at eHalls, at Jonathan Ronzio, or at The Stokecast. Thanks again, and stay stoked.